Kia ora and welcome back to The C Word, Kiwis Talk About Cancer. I'm your host, Helen King, and this is the podcast for cancery people who want real conversations about cancer. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to good podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you want to support The C Word, you can head over to my Ko-fi page and make a donation. There's a link in the show notes if you want to do that. A quick warning about today's episode. If swear words offend you, switch off now or maybe pop on some headphones if you've got kids in the room. May is New Zealand Music Month and I wanted to showcase some of our very talented musicians. Today's guest performs in her band Molly and the Chromatics. But life could have been very different for Molly Rowlandson. Five years ago, when she was 20, she was studying at Victoria University in Wellington and had her whole future ahead of her. A trip to the doctor for swollen glands would change her life overnight when she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. This is Molly's story. Yeah, I was 20 when I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is a, a type of leukemia, which is people know about leukemia, but they probably don't know about all of the different versions pretty much you can get and how they affect people differently. So acute lymphoblastic leukemia comes on quickly. And I, at the time, was on summer holiday with my family and getting ready to go back to third year university, Wellington. And I had lumps around my, around my sort of throat area and behind my ears, so my lymph nodes were inflamed. Um, and I was just, I was quite tired and needing to have naps in the middle of the day, which just was not like me as I'm a high, high energy person. So, so yeah, I thought it was glandular fever and came back from holiday and went straight to the doctor. And yeah, they, my lovely GP, he was writing urgent on all the blood test forms. And I was like, I thought that he just wanted me to get my flight back to the uni so I could <laughs> get into OWIC. But no, it was. He was concerned for my health, not for me to get back to university. And yeah, they called me at mid after having my blood test. They gave me a call at midday and said, "Yeah, we're waiting. Come back to the doctor's, Molly, with your parents." So mum left work and yeah, so did dad and we all came and sat and the chairs were arranged, the doctors, it was, uh, yeah, it was, just had no idea what to expect because I was pretty regular 20 year old, same as my friends, great baseline house, so it was just pretty random and they, yeah, Dr. Dominic, my lovely GP, who's been my GP my entire life, which is, yeah, pretty special, really. He said, they pack your bags, Molly. We've detected leukemic cells. They're waiting for you at Auckland Hospital. Oh. So, yeah, pretty much that's what we did. We packed my bags and went there, and then all the information was being thrown at you. And, but immediately I was like, okay, we are not Googling anything. We have no idea what's going to happen. Let's just wait until we hear what it could be. I didn't want anyone to freak out, which obviously we were, <laughs> but I didn't want to jump to any sort of scary conclusions because at the time all I knew of leukemia or cancer, I didn't have very much of that in my life before myself and all I knew was death. 
all I knew was like, that's what it means. Cancer equals death. My sister's keeper is sort of the movie that I'd seen. And it's like, oh gosh. Yeah, that was my only experience. So it was pretty bloody scary, I tell you. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's very similar to what happened for me. When the doctor says, come in and bring a support person, that the mm. news is going to be going big <laughs> as well. But it really amazes me with different types of cancers that, I mean, I think for leukemia, I, from what I've understood from other people as well, that it is that quick, that it is, right, you need to get into hospital now. Whereas... Mm. I thought mine was very fast, but at least there was a little bit of time to kind of go, okay, I've got cancer. All right, now I need to get this test. But it sounds like for you, it was like, right, no, you need to be in hospital now. Yeah, there was just no time for processing anything really. And I think in a way that might have been a good thing for me because I was like, right, give me the treatment. Let's get this done. Come on, let's get this over with. (laughs) Um, I mean, it wasn't all like that obviously. It was very scary and I remember after I first got diagnosed coming home and because I got diagnosed on a Friday and they don't do chemotherapy and stuff at the weekend which made me bloody, made me so pissed off. I was like, give me the treatment now. Like, because you can't have a day off and like let this cancer grow for, for two days. Like, oh shit. Yeah. No. Yeah. But anyway, this is how it works. And yeah, we just had the weekend just kind of stew a little bit, which was, I don't know if it was a good thing, but it's only two days really. But I remember, you know, going upstairs and like hearing my parents crying and, yeah, you know, and just being like, oh fuck, this is real. It is hard, isn't it? Because I I know that other people have that very similar thing where you are dealing with the bombshell about yourself, but I I found as well that you're almost having to manage other people's reactions and emotions and things, which is really challenging because it's like, just let me take this in. Yeah. And then you've got the sort of waves of people, you know, and their various reactions. And the thing is as well, like, a lot of other people, to them, cancer means death as well. So there was a lot of really upset people and we were all just completely shocked. Like, so many of my friends were just, we were all completely shocked. And then I told a whole bunch of people that I was close to and then I, my God, my, one of my beautiful best friends, I asked, I can't believe I asked her to do this. In hindsight, I've been like, holy shit. <laughs> but I asked her, I gave her a list of people to contact to tell because I just couldn't do it anymore and she was of course she was like anything I can do yeah but I mean how fucking traumatic for her (laughs) it was not only traumatic it was traumatic for for a lot of people around me it was definitely an eye-opener absolutely and I guess because it happened so fast people would have been like what (laughs) yeah oh completely I saw I'd seen some friends the week before in Christchurch and which had a grand on time and then the next minute I was calling them, telling them I had leukemia. And I was like, pardon? It's crazy, isn't it? And I imagine as well at 20. I mean, you don't expect it any time, to be honest. I mean, no one sort of thinks, oh, yeah, I think this is the year. <laughs> this is it. This is the year oh, I get cancer. I know. But at 20, you're kind of, you're either finishing up uni or you're in the middle of it or you're maybe going in your OE, you're just sort of starting work and figuring it yeah. out because you, you're kind yeah. of an adult, but you're, oh, I don't know, I never felt like an oh, adult. Yeah. I mean, I, it made me grow up very quickly, to be honest. I think I, I don't like to think about what I would have done if, you yeah. know, I just think that's a waste. There's just no point because 
in your life it goes one way or another. And yes, I just think there's no point in being like, oh, if this happened, that would happen. Yeah. And what if that, you know, it's like, no, no, this is happening. Yes. And you can choose how to deal with it. So let's do that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So how, how long were you in treatment? What was the process for leukemia? I had nine months of chemotherapy, which was in and out of day stay. That was intravenous, different drugs. I had lots of prednisone, which is a steroid, which actually ended up giving me a, a side effect a side effect called avascular necrosis which is a joint disorder that I now have and I've had a shoulder replacement wow. since so in my joints yeah I have I have quite a lot of issues with my joints now and there was a time in the treatment where I had to decide whether to come off the prednisone or not which was a really scary time because in my mind this recipe of drugs was going to save my life or going to cure and all the same going to cure me and all the scientists and the doctors they had put this recipe together so how could I have the agency to be like okay let's just fuck with this recipe yeah and take out the prednisone and we'll see what happens yeah so that was I just found that so incredible it was yeah incredibly hard and you can't no one else is going to tell me what the right thing to do is. They could give me the facts, but I had to make the decision. So I decided to come off it and risk. I, yeah, I, I'd already responded to the treatment pretty well. Mm. So I decided to come off the treatment and sort of stop the damage to my joints so I could... I knew, I knew that I was going to survive. I had this feeling inside of me. Mm. Of course, there's always doubt, but I was like, no, I am surviving, and if I'm going to survive, I want to live a life where I can move my body. Mm. So I decided to stop taking that part of the drugs, and I was fine. But So, yeah, I had, like, injections into my legs. I had countless lumbar punctures because I the leukemia that I had was T-cell, ALL, it's called, yeah. and the leukemia was around my cerebral spinal fluid in my brain. So I ended up having radiation to my brain as well. And yeah, lots of lots of other things and lots of trips into hospital, being neutropenic and having to manage, yeah, my like temperature all the time and if it went up a little bit it was straight into hospital to get on antibiotics to make sure I was protected so yeah it was pretty crazy yeah really and then after the nine months yeah I had my radiation to my brain for two weeks it was and then I had two years after that of maintenance therapy so that's yeah chemo pills and yes. lumbar punctures slowly sort of weaning you off that wow but then the the <laughs> avascular necrosis was sort of the issue in my life and it is my ongoing sort of side effect, unfortunately, but it could be worse. Wow, you've really brought back a memory there where I remember after, especially after the second, um, when I started the second phase of chemo, being really obsessive with temperature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is it now? Yeah. What was it like afterwards? What was it, What was it like for you? going through such an enormous process or enormous event and then coming out the other end? I was definitely anxious after I finished the heavy duty treatment because I thought, oh God, can I trust my body? It was, it was this, it's like, yeah, it's bizarre 
to think about now and it's interesting to think about it now because I do fully trust my body now mm. and I look after my body and I was looking after my body at the time well not when I got sick really but <laughs> I was partying and yeah. but I still like to do that stuff now so I don't know it's fine line balance blah blah <laughs> but yeah it was definitely an anxious time for me and I was I almost didn't want to stop the chemotherapy I was like don't stop this because what happened what, what if I relapse? What if... And I was asking my doctor, you know, what are the chances? And he said, each day that you move forward, each every day that you're further away from the treatment, the higher chance, the, the lower chance it is from the cancer coming back. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I just had to trust. Trust myself and my body and the universe and the world and enjoy my life. And I was like, right, I just want to carry on with my life now. That's sort of done. And I actually, I did two mindfulness courses through McKenna and Blood Foundation with this incredible psychologist called Sue Dykes. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of therapy sessions with her. And I just didn't even want to talk about it. I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm done with this. I'm good. I'm moving on. (laughs) And interestingly enough, I had my five-year cure last year in August, and which is pretty cool. And in lockdown before then, a whole lot of emotions surrounding the cancer sort of experience for me started coming up again. Wow, and yeah. I think also I didn't really deal with it and sort of really look it in the face and be like, well, this happened. Well, you got through it. Yeah, so I, after lockdown, have you seen the the series Afterlife on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, I I watched that and couldn't deal with it. I was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, like, hours afterwards. And there are a few things like that that really I just felt triggered by. And I thought, my boyfriend at the time was like, okay, let's, I think there's some things you need to address. So, yeah, I ended up seeing Sue Dykes again. She was like, ah, oh, it's so nice to see you here. We've got some great work that we can do. <laughs> so I ended up seeing her last year for, I don't know, a couple of months. And it was so helpful because my brain had filed that experience as trauma in my, in my mind. And we sort of went back to that trauma memory and refiled it. And now I can, yeah, really openly talk about it. And I want to talk about it and hopefully help other people who are going through anything mm. to show you, show people that through adversity does bring strength and you can use that strength to your in, in your life and it makes you appreciate life and, I don't know, grateful and better. Mm. <laughs> it's That's such an interesting point because I think lockdown was really hard for a lot of people and they probably didn't anticipate it because I know... F- for me, that cancer memory is probably quite fresh still because I'll be coming out three years. But I yeah. think a lot of the actions were so similar. It was like you the, you have this thing that you can't see that is posing a, a possible threat, mm. you know, and then there's the you have to stay at home. Yeah. Going to the supermarket means you have to wear a <laughs> mask or you have to do this, then the other, and it was so similar to being on chemo and I I really relate to what you're saying because I think a lot of that stuff came up. I think that was the same for a lot of people where they went, 
oh god this is way too familiar yeah so interesting like when the prime minister did announce that mum i was actually at home with my parents and mum was like you can't you 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 can't go anywhere because you are immunocompromised and of course like she's got got this fierce protection for me because she nursed me she left her job to be there with me that whole year so i think there's a lot of protective you know but even as we get further away i think maybe that's yeah, just that protective nature is still there, which I'm so grateful for. But I was just got so upset. I was like, I am not. What? How am I still in this cancer box? Like how? Mm. Like I'm not immunocompromised, and oh, I was just so upset and frustrated that like this experience that I had that I want to let go of, just like sometimes just keeps on creeping up on me i'm like can you just leave me alone leukemia just fuck off and let me live my life like it was because like there's always that worry really like what if i am you know compromised like like why did that i just had a moment of like why did this why are you still here like go away yeah i know I personally think that there's a lot of downplaying of what cancer's like to have. Mm. And I know, you know, for, for women who, or people who have breast cancer, we were talking about this before, before we started the interview, that breast cancer is kind of portrayed as this lovely pink fluffy thing that women's boobs are this fun, exciting thing. When I know my experience was that it was brutal and it was traumatizing and I have not been the same since. And so I, I think that for a lot of people, that's the reality of cancer and that it does impact you and it does change you. Not everyone. Some people don't have that experience. But yeah. I, I think for a significant amount of people, cancer is a highly life-changing thing. Yeah, I think you're right when you say people don't, you know, downplaying it. Mm. I think I probably downplayed it. I know that maybe that was my sort of tactic to get through. I think I didn't ever want to be sort of, I didn't want to be victimized really. Although, you know, Mm -hmm. although it was a tough experience and, People who were around me saw it being a tough experience. My One of my best friends, Izzy, she was living in Wellington and she came up. Oh, amazing. Like she flew up to Auckland that year like nine times and yeah, her parents, her mum and her sister came one time and I had been in hospital because I got salmonella while I was oh, sick, God, which yeah. was scary. And I almost died of salmonella, which oh. is quite crazy. But, but anyway, like, I was so sick. Was, I couldn't. I was delirious at this point. They came and saw me in this state. And I think it was just completely shocking and, yeah, traumatizing as well for them because mm. just seeing the realness. Yes. Yeah. And because I only ever saw people when I was finished because obviously, well, not obviously, but some people might not know that chemotherapy have rounds of it because it just, pummels your cells until you've got no good cells left and then you get a little bit of time to recover and they do it all over again. So only in those recovery times did I see people. I wasn't really seeing people during the chemotherapy process. So 
Yes, it's crazy. It's a really weird thing to think that that's what, that was this time in your life that this was happening. And a friend said to me, because I downplay it too. And sometimes I think, why do I feel so strange? And I, especially out, you know, sort of straight after everything finished, and a friend of mine said, you've just faced your mortality. Well, that's, you know, a, yeah, of course that's you feel fucked. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think like, it's so interesting to observe. I think I wonder how I would deal with it now compared to how I would, how I did when I was 20. And I wonder if like I had that almost that resilience of like a young, young person of just not, not having like a, like having more of an ego and maybe like, I'm going to be good. I'm fine. Of course I am. <laughs> and also ignoring that I just didn't even let my mind go there with the prospect of mortality you know until I had this there was this one day that I was in hospital for the night of couple nights and there was a family in the Fano room who were grieving someone who had just a family member who had just passed away on the ward and I it just hit me and I was like oh my god someone's and I had a panic I almost had a panic attack sort of thing Mm. I was like oh my god this is and I I called my parents and the nurse and I was like, whoa, this is real. This is a possibility for me. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that might have been like four or five months into it and I just hadn't even gone there until until then. So, yeah. Yeah, It's massive. Mm. I I would really love to talk about your music and how – how your experiences influenced it or how it helped? I've always loved music my whole life. Like, my dad played lots of music growing up and would dance around and I used to do, like, little lip-syncing shows and did choir at school and did the jazz band and the shows and just loved music and performing and singing and playing music. I played the flute as well, so... And I tried lots of different instruments at school. I played played the bass briefly because I loved Flea from the Red Hot Chili The saxophone because the saxophone teacher was hot. Did so fun. But then I did flute the whole way through and then did singing as well. So and then after school, went to uni and had a little band with some of my mates. And I always played music with... I'm from Devonport in Auckland and it's quite a musical community really and I think there's lots of sort of a musical influence from Takapuna Grammar where I went mm. to school. And yeah, so a family friend and re- really, yeah, really good friends, Nick Edgar and he's a musician and he always got a group of musicians, about 15 musicians together every year and did a show and they did a theme show. So one year they did David Bowie, they did, yeah, all sorts of different ones shows and from when I was 15 he got me singing it was the first time I'd performed by myself and I did it every year with him and his son George is a dear friend of mine and he's actually in the band and we've always we've sort of played music together since then yeah and yeah so when I yeah when I was sick I was I sort of thought about music a lot and I thought that I'd like to be in a band and when I'd recovered I was like George we're starting a band and a good friend of mine Sam was coming moving to Auckland from Wellington from uni and then yeah we all sort of just started started from there and we were playing covers in the local Devonport pub (laughs) and like barbecues and then we started we wrote a song and then 
wrote another song and then we performed over the bridge. And I was like, Whoa. wow, it's <laughs> awesome. And then we had a slot at this place, this bar in town called The Empire. Oh, yes, yeah. And like, oh, no, everyone's in Auckland just seems to know The Empire yeah. and has had a fun time there at some point. And yeah, we had a whole, it was sort of after university and lots of different people had moved up to Auckland maybe for their grad jobs or whatever. And so we'd had this huge crowd of like once a month at the Empire and yeah, we, yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, just the goalposts just kept on moving to be honest. Like, yeah, it was, we were just having such a good time and enjoying ourselves. Then we were writing more music and then we released an EP and then we decided to do a gig in Wellington and Christchurch and Dunedin at the unis and then it just built and built and built and that's what's happened really and yeah I feel so lucky to be doing that as my main job and what the main thing I do in my it's not a job like it's the main thing I do in my life and I do think yeah like I said earlier subconsciously the music the, the cancer experience has probably informed the fact that I'm doing what I love and yeah. I just want to do what makes me happy and feel good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I really relate to that. That's what life's about. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What sort of music do you do you write and play? How would you describe it? We, to be honest, our music is a concoction of the as a result of the, the people. And yeah. We're not really trying <laughs> to make a certain sound. It just happens. The combination of the people equal Molly and the chromatics equal yeah. this random funky soulful so- sound. Yeah. <laughs> and which is quite cool. And I, I really like that because, uh, yeah, it's just real. Mm. Yeah. And we've got, we've got many influences of artists that we love, lots of Kiwi artists like Holly Smith and Fat Freddy's Drop and Lady Six and Australian band Hiatus Coyote and Anderson Pack and lots of great artists. Mm. But, I mean, we're we trying to sound like anything, which I really feel strongly about. Yeah, yeah. Has, has writing music or playing music, do you think it's helped process any of those you know big emotions around your cancer yeah I think so in a, in a way I think more the experience of playing music and doing what I love has mm. been maybe more of that and with people that we have so much love and respect for each other all of us in the band as well which is cool and support we all support each other a lot and so that I think has been something that's helped but yeah there have been songs like I wrote a song called Bionic Woman yeah because <laughs> I've got a metal in my arm from a shoulder replacement and yeah definitely have definitely written some music that has nods to my cancer experience that you wouldn't know like we have a song called in this world Mm. and it says only just below the surface only curtains covering the blow but if they are pulled back and exposed it's a repeat going back down going down down to the love and it's pretty much just saying like it's just that experience is always just there yeah and sometimes it only takes 
a call from the doctor. Like if I see my doctor calling, I'm like, <clears throat> it brings it all back. And there's another song that I say, you, my struggle is a privilege that I can't choose. You were strong, you were relentless, but I'm better because of you, which I believe as well. Like when I was sick, I, I thought that I felt like, you know, I've been given this because I can handle it. Mm. And I almost felt like, yeah, it's a privilege, but I can't choose it. But And I'm stronger and I'm a much better person because of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think more these days, I mean, I had my heart broken last year and I, <laughs> I wrote all about that. <laughs> so I'd say, yeah, I write pretty much what I'm thinking and feeling. And it is definitely a therapeutic. Yeah. yeah, I guess Hell that's yeah. that's what art is based on, isn't it? Is heartbreak and shit. Mm. Such- <laughs> I've never explicitly written anything like I had cancer. It was shit. <laughs> but I haven't done that. But I definitely, um, I can see now. Like I said before, I want to show people, yeah, who have been through cancer or any kind of life-changing, traumatic, any experience that. And you can come through the other side, up the other side with, I've said it before, like a, a good attitude, focus, and modern medicine. <laughs> and lots of love. Yes. Oh, that's such Feels a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, and if people want to um, check out your music, where can we find you? You can find us on Spotify, Molly and the Chromatics. That would be the best place. But we're on Apple Music and we're on YouTube and, yeah, on Facebook and Instagram is where you'll find the updates to see us live. Excellent. Well, I'll pop, yeah. pop all of those links in the show notes anyway so people can yeah. check you guys out. Hey, yeah, we're playing a gig, actually, at the Power Station on May the 22nd, so you should come. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Gosh, the power station. That's that's very much part of my youth. <laughs> yeah. The power station is one of those iconic venues, eh? Like yeah. I've seen many artists that I admire so much and I can't really believe that we're playing there. I'm like, oh my God, this is loose. Yeah. I, yeah, it's I yeah, it feels like a life achievement playing there yeah. even though I didn't know it was a life achievement before now I'm like holy shit <laughs> it is it just feels um yeah like a privilege to be playing there especially when I've seen so many people that I admire so much play there so mm. yeah. oh, that's very cool hey well thank you for joining me and sharing your story it's been really cool to talk to you so nice to talk to you too Helen Thanks so much for listening. The C Word Kiwis Talk About Cancer is every Sunday at 11.55am on Auckland's 104.6 Planet FM and anytime at www.planetaudio.org.nz forward slash the C Word. If you want to head along and see Molly and the Chromatics play at their upcoming gig on the 22nd of May, I've popped a link in the show notes so you can buy tickets. And the song taking us out today is from Molly and their chromatics. It's Pick Your Potion. Silky, spider matrimony, marshmallow, peanut butter, alimony, tripping. Just pick your potion.
Children run. 
get a fast car I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Get a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just cross the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs and finally see what it means to be living. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his When mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him So I quit school, that's what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast I felt like I was drunk City lights lay out before us And your arm felt like strap around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged Someone, be someone, be someone. You got a fast car. We go cruise and entertain ourselves. Still ain't got a job. Now work in the market as a checkout girl. I know things will get better. You'll find work and I'll get promoted. We'll move out of the shelter. Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs. Someone, be someone. 
fast car Is it fast enough so you can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way
tide of moon, rivers and jet balloons, UFO gonna find some peace, indigenous message that formerly. No. 